Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Criminority Report. Please keep in mind that this podcast was created for adult audiences only. These episodes will contain themes which may be triggering. Listener and reader discretion is advised. Now, let's get to this episode. Hey everyone, this is Lady Lily. And this is your girl, Millie Red. And welcome back to the Criminority Report. The Criminority Report. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> so, welcome to the month of March. This month's true crime cases will be all about robberies and or heists. Yep. <laughs> it's going to be exciting and real stupid. I, can I don't know. Tell. I don't even know if that if you would constitute that as exciting, you know, about robbing, you know, banks and stuff. I mean, that's an adrenaline rush. It has to be. <laughs> I guess people get really excited about robberies because of like how it's depicted in movies and how they do all of these acrobatic mm-hmm. things and come up with these clever ways to steal large sums of money and and it never pans out the way it's supposed to. Yes. Like, you know that movie, um, one of my favorite movies, Dead Presidents? You seen that? No. Okay. Dead Presidents, it came out in like the 90s. Lorenz Tate. Yes. So he was in that movie and they had like painted their faces white and they had this really, really, really good plan. And then it just all went to crap. It didn't work out. People was dying. Like, mm. it just was really, really bad. It's and like, like set it of, off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just like set it off. Set it off is another really good movie. Mm-hmm. Like, what they did to my girl, Queen Latifah? Like, yeah. why you did my girl like that? Yeah. Why did they do all of them like that? They all died horrible, horrible deaths. Horrible deaths. Yeah. Except for, except for Jada. Okay. So, anyway. <laughs> According to the FBI, a total of 1,964 bank robberies, burglaries, and larcenies were committed in 2021. The number of persons known to be involved was 2,469. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's a huge number, right? <laughs> It does not even match how many robberies there were. Uh, there were like more people involved in the robberies than oh gosh yeah. than the actual crime. Mm-hmm. So that that goes to show you that it's with a group. Yes, that's common with a, with a group of people. The racial and gender breakdown showed that black men were involved in most of the violations, white men being the second and Hispanic men third and Asian men fourth. The report also showed that women of all races were significantly lower than men. Duh. (laughs) According to a legal article, most bank robbers are caught quickly and may take a few thousand dollars. That's not even worth it. No, I don't think it's worth it. 
But there are those rare occasions where millions are stolen. Rare occasions where millions are stolen. This brings us to the case we're going to discuss tonight. This heist was known to be one of the largest robberies in U.S. history, y'all. Yeah. The culprits involved kept a low profile and eluded investigators for two years before getting caught, tried, and convicted. We're taking a deep dive into the Dunbar Armored Car Company robbery. Have you ever heard about this case? I have not. I haven't either, but there's a documentary episode on FBI Files about Mm -hmm. this case. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, they could have gotten away with this. They couldn't have. They could have. But, you know, in situations like this, when there's a lot of money involved and a lot of people involved, then Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. someone is bound to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. And and then they get caught. Facts. All right, y'all. It was a warm Friday night in Los Angeles, September 12, 1997. Located in the warehouse district, employees for an armored car company were completing their daily task, which was counting money. All right. On this night, though, they were counting over $20 million with the plan to load money in several ATMs around the city. It's about to be the weekend. People about to use their their um, debit cards to pull out money. So they needed to reload those ATMs. But how are you counting $20 million? Are you like one, two? No. You know, <laughs> you know they're using those automated cash. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait. 20, 40, <laughs> 60. <laughs> <laughs> In the documentary, that's what you see them doing. They like they were like just putting like cash in a automated counter, and it was just mm-hmm. counting for them. Mm-hmm. But you're so <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> My question is: How did the automated counter know which bill is which? How does it know it's a one dollar, twenty dollar, five dollar bill? I'm wondering, maybe money weighs differently like a $20 might weigh like differently than like a $5 bill have you heard (laughs) (laughs) I'm just making something up have you felt cash before I got a pocket full of big faces (laughs) (laughs) you know a $20 bill and a $5 bill weighs the same there's something really crispy about a $20. <laughs> there's something really poor about a $5 bill. <laughs> that is a mindset. That has nothing to do with the weight. All right. Moving on. In the building were a total of five employees and two security officers. One guard was taking his lunch break when five Masked, armed men barged into the break room, forced him to the ground, restrained him, and unarmed him. The second guard was preparing to go home when the same men subdued him as well. Four of the men proceeded to the cash vault while one man kept both guards in the surveillance room at gunpoint and watched the security cameras. Mm. Yep. Amongst 
all the commotion going on in the break room, the three employees working in the vault did not hear anything. They were unaware that armed men entered the building and that the guards were restrained in the surveillance room. I can believe that. Well, yeah, they're in a, you know, in a vault Mm -hmm. counting money. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then the remaining four men barged their way into the vault and forced the employees to lay on the ground face down. Fearing what would happen next, the employees were tied up and told to remain still. The robbers went as far as to threaten to kill them if they decided to defend themselves. Now, having access to all the money in the vault, the thieves began loading the money into carts. Although they were masked, it was reported there was a clear leader amongst the group of robbers. Duh. (laughs) There always is. Yeah. Yeah, somebody of has course. to be the brains, yeah. The leader communicated with the robbers using radio headsets. The lead robber led them into the vault, told them which money to take, and instructed the thieves to take the main and backup surveillance equipment. Mm. What was smart about this robbery is that the thieves didn't use names, but in fact, they identified themselves by numbers. Mm-hmm. In less than 20 minutes... They subdued the employees, including both armed security guards, stole millions from the vault, took their surveillance recorder, and stole the keys to the vault's manager's truck. After the robbers left the building, the guards freed themselves and the employees called 911. So the LAPD officers were at the scene in minutes, and Detective John Licata became the lead detective for this case. Through the employees' statements, investigators learned the robber seemed familiar with the layout of the building. One employee even told detective she recognized the voice of the leader but could not think of a name. When interviewing the vault manager, he reported he didn't know why his truck was the only one stolen. As forensic technicians gathered evidence they initially believed the robbers forced their way in the building but that was wrong evidence would later prove that the assailants used a key to walk in they used a key (laughs) y'all they used a a key so the damage to the doors was only a ruse to make it appear as if they were forced opened yep Detectives learned the robbers took all the high cash bins and left the bins that contained stamps and cash checks. (laughs) What? (laughs) All right. So that tells you they were strategic in what they were taking. Strategery. Mm hmm. That's not even. I don't know if that's a word. It's not. I heard one of our presidents use it, and sometimes I periodically (laughs) use it. I'm like, if he was able to use it, so can I. Um, This piece of information told detectives the robbers knew how the company stored its cash and that this was an inside job. Detectives also learned the surveillance recorder and the backup recorder were taken. The interesting thing about this is that 80% of the employees working for this company didn't even know the recording devices were in the back office. That's crazy, right? It is, yeah. The forensics team searched for fingerprints, clothing, fibers, 
and even hair samples, but found nothing. They found nothing, y'all, because these robbers was that good. The only evidence recovered was a broken amber taillight. A total of $18.9 million was stolen that night. Ha dang! In 1997, $18.9 million. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And so it adjusted for inflation, that comes up to about $35 million. Yeah. That's $35 million today, y'all. Yeah, I'm going to be on an island, like a Fiji island or something. Mm-hmm. Like one Don't. of those one, like an island to where either an island to where you cannot see it on a globe or I'm going to space. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, a, I'm going, I'm going extraterrestrial. I'm going to a different planet, y'all. Like. Where the money would be no use, of no use. They don't even use that currency. If there was another planet where you could reside and live, they don't know anything about U.S. currency. All I got to do is get there. <laughs> <laughs> then you're gonna need to steal. You're gonna need to steal money from another bank. From I there. need to get there. Okay, like that that's makes it. no sense, Millie. I, that makes no sense. I just need to get to space. Okay, I just need to get to space and I need somebody to build me a craft. So um, because the money was federally insured, the FBI joined the investigation. The media was given a vague description of the robber's height, weight, and clothing for possible tips from the public. A reward was also offered for more information. So based on the skin color of the eye holes of the mask, the employees believed the robbers were black and one Hispanic because he was lighter skinned. But they could have been Indian, y'all. Like they could have been anything. They could have yeah. been anything. So mm-hmm. why was it they were why did they assume they were black? It's our own prejudices that we need to be aware yes. of. Like not yes. being culturally sensitive to knowing like, you know, there are Arabic people, Middle Eastern people, right. Right. Indian people um, that are brown. That yeah. are brown. Mm-hmm. Period. Right. Remember we mentioned that one of the employees believed they recognized one of the robbers' voices? This employee agreed to look at a collection of former employees at the police station and identified a possible suspect. The person the employee identified was a driver who re- who recently left the company and moved to New Orleans. When the detectives interviewed the man, he had a solid alibi. He was on vacation during the night of the robbery and was ruled out as a suspect. Mm-hmm. So during this interview with the vault manager, he identified Alan Pace as the voice he recognized during the night of the robbery. Alan had no criminal record. He worked for the armored truck company for over a year as a safety inspector. He was fired the day before the robbery for disciplinary re- reasons. Although he was fired, investigators learned he did not return his keys. Ooh. Yep. Investigators went to interview Allen at his home. Allen admitted he knew about the robbery from listening to the media, but denied involvement. Of course he would. Who's going to be like, mm-hmm. yeah, I was involved in that. Yeah. He told them he was at a party with his girlfriend the night of the robbery. 
background check on the girlfriend revealed she was also a former employee of the company (laughs) and was let go four weeks prior to the robbery. Uh. She worked in the cash vault and had a position that required her to handle their surveillance video equipment. Uh When interviewed by investigators, she corroborated Alan's alibi. She reported they were at a party all night with several friends. Investigators even tried to find the truck with the missing taillight, but did not find any trucks rented by Alan or his girlfriend. The case began to grow cold because they didn't have sufficient evidence or any leads. Mm-hmm. FBI began watching and following Alan. Nothing implicated him. Mm. He was not spending lots of money, living beyond his means, or having a, a lot of cash at his disposal. Despite the media attention and rewards for any information regarding this crime, the FBI and LAPD had no leads, no sufficient forensic evidence, and no witnesses. Mm. One year passed, and an informant called investigators reporting that he may have some information. The informant reported he worked for the company a year earlier around the time the robbery occurred. He left the company after becoming a real estate agent. He told investigators after the robbery, he was given $100,000 in cash to purchase a home for Eugene Hill. Eugene asked that the deed of the home be listed in his girlfriend's name. Mm. The money was stored at Eugene's girlfriend's apartment in a trunk with a whole bunch of small little um, boxes full of cash in there. Mm -hmm. Now get this, listeners. The money was still bundled by bank straps. Stupid. So that informant, he kept the (gasps) bank straps and gave it to investigators. Oh, now, I bet you're wondering why did why this informant came forward. Yep. Well, the informant reported that Eugene changed his mind and wanted the money back, but not in cash, but in cashier's checks. Ooh. So the informant gave Eugene 85 grand and kept 15 grand for himself. Now, Eugene was threatening him and the informant was asking for protection. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So background check on Eugene revealed that he did not previously work at the company or had any criminal record. But it did reveal his connection to Alan Pace. Ooh. Both of them worked for a security company in Los Angeles in the past. Mm. Investigators began surveillance on Eugene. They eventually learned that he and Alan and two others, Terry Brown and Fred McCrary, were partners for a business called Extreme Entertainment. Mm. Now, let me tell you about this company. Extreme Entertainment was a company that provided entertainment services from children's games to exotic dancers. Okay, no. Proceed. Extreme Entertainment was not generating any income, but there was a lot of cash going into the bank. What are y'all doing? 
So now investigators now believe this company was was being used as a front to launder money. Mm-hmm. Because of this, the IRS joined the investigation. Ooh. Investigators began to dig deeper into the four suspects' finances. They learned Eugene Hill was receiving checks from another company called Rainforest. Mm. When they investigated Rainforest, they discovered that in addition to sending monthly checks to Eugene Hill, there were also checks made out to another man named Thomas Johnson. Rainforest now was a company that claimed to develop new recycling technologies. It was reported that Eugene and Thomas invested $2 million to this company, which, according to FBI, is a classic money laundering scheme. And they also learned that Thomas lived in an expensive home in Las Vegas. Then one night on September 10th, 1999, his girlfriend called 911 to report a domestic abuse. Because Thomas and his girlfriend were flagged by the FBI, the Vegas police called them to further investigate. So the team in L.A. quickly traveled to Las Vegas to interview Thomas's girlfriend. Listeners, this girl sang like a canary. That she did. Like a canary, y'all. So she alleged Thomas was physically abusive towards her. She reported Thomas was laundering money through the Las Vegas casinos. He and a friend would purchase a bunch of chips that he would later have her her exchange for cash. The exchange would always be less than $10,000 to avoid suspicion in filling out cash reports. The girlfriend also told investigators that Thomas told her about a big job he had in Los Angeles two years ago. When they asked her to identify the friend he was gambling with, guess who she identified? (laughs) Eugene Hill, y'all. Eugene Hill. Mm -hmm. So the FBI and LAPD now have strong reason to believe these five men, Alan Pace, Terry Brown, Fred McCrary, and Eugene Hill and Thomas Johnson were suspects in the robbery. However, they still did not have any strong evidence linking them to the crime. Yep. All of the evidence that they've gathered so far were all circumstantial. It's circumstantial, right. Mm-hmm. It's like, we know that these dudes did it. Yeah. We just don't have that one piece of like DNA right. or, or something that can actually link them there. Right. An irrefutable mm-hmm. proof that they committed this crime and mm-hmm. did this robbery. Yep. Until one day, LAPD detective Wong discovered that Eugene rented a truck around the time of the robbery and returned it just after the robbery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Investigators were able to get the truck Eugene rented and compared its current taillight to the cracked amber taillight found in the loading dock, which, Mm -hmm. if you remember, was the only physical evidence left on the scene. Mm -hmm. They believed the original taillight fell off the truck when they were trying to get away. They sent the lens to an FBI lab in Washington, D.C. and found out It was a match, meaning the taillight found in the loading dock was very likely to have fallen off that truck. 
that was rented by Gene Hill. Yep. And the thing about this is that even though investigators were able to link the amber taillight to the truck, they still could not prove conclusively that Eugene Hill or the other suspects were in that truck during the heist. They still couldn't prove it. Assistant U.S. Attorney Alka Sagar needed stronger evidence to get a conviction. So instead of interviewing the men directly, investigators went after their girlfriends and certain family members. Mm. Two years after the robbery, investigators learned that Eugene's girlfriends, he had two, by the way, were spending cash. One of Eugene's girlfriends agreed to talk to investigators. Mm. That woman did not want to go to prison. Heck no. She told them that after the robbery, Eugene was suddenly flowing in money. He stored two foot lockers filled with boxes of the cash in her apartment. She and a friend helped him count and sort. Eugene told her before the money could be used, the money needs to look used. So she washed the money. Did she wash it with Tide or Gain? <laughs> I don't know. Did that make a difference? <laughs> did they know. use the cheap stuff? Like I don't know. Did they use I don't coupons? <laughs> they didn't have those little pods back then, so I know it wasn't a pod. No, that was 1997, so no. <laughs> they definitely used powdered um, detergent. Mm -hmm. Moving on. Mm -hmm. Then they would take the money to the casinos and buy chips and exchange them for cash. Investigators subpoenaed the financial records of Eugene's sister. Mm -mm. They found out that she had several accounts she was holding in trust to Eugene. Those accounts showed that there were a lot of unexplained cash deposited into the accounts. It also showed major purchases like motorcycles, cars, and other goods. Investigators went to her home to interview her. But before they were able to interview, while they were in her home, she paged Eugene. This is um, old tech alert. This was during a time where beepers were the thing. And a page was like, it was not a, it was not a short number. No. Like it was a long set of like numbers to type. I was wow. like, that's bold, girl. She was that's bold. That's very bold. Mm -hmm. She was bold, y'all. She claimed to know nothing about Eugene's financial matters. And that might be true because she probably would have just paged him like, hey, Cops are here. You better bring your butt here. 911. Mm-hmm. Then soon after, while during the interview, they're still at her home, Eugene Hill arrived. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. When questioned, Hill denied any knowledge of the armored car robbery. He told investigators he didn't have time to answer their questions now, but would talk to them in the morning. What? Being that the FBI knew he had access to a, to lots of money, they believe he was a major flight risk. Yeah. So they called District Attorney Alga, and she agreed. She gave them the go to arrest him right then and there. So they searched his home, and they found ledgers 
that showed Eugene purchased real estate in other people's names. And then in those ledgers, they also found that Alan Pace was also listed on Eugene's ledgers as having purchased real estate in other people's names. When the IRS investigated further, it was noted that Alan has spent over a million dollars in real estate. Finally, they had something on Alan. Because up until that point, they could not link Alan to any illegal activity. Of course not. Now that Eugene was arrested, it didn't take him long to spill the beans. Hoping to get a lesser sentence, he confessed to the robbery and promised investigators he would tell them what really happened the night of the robbery. Snitch. (laughs) (laughs) Most of them didn't have criminal history. I just think that they just wanted the money. I don't think they were out to, like, you know, murder anyone or anything like that. Man. Bermuda. Bermuda, Fiji, (laughs) space, Saturn. Attorney. Like, I'm I'm going somewhere. So here's how these men were able to steal $18.9 million. Okay, so Eugene alleged that Alan Pace recruited himself, Eugene, um, and three others, Eric Damon Boyd, Freddie Lynn McCrary, Terry Wayne Brown, to complete the robbery. Alan informed Eugene he's a sixth person, so Eugene recruited... Thomas Johnson. Eugene reported that Allen was the leader and mastermind of the whole operation. Allen told them the robbery needed to be done on a Friday night because he knew who would be working that shift and that it would be a small crew. Ooh, you devious. Yeah. He also told them the employees working that shift would not offer any resistance and they would tie up the employees and steal the money. Dang, imagine that, like, somebody thinking, like, mm-hmm. Lady Lily ain't finna do nothing. Millie Red's not finna do nothing, so y'all need to go hit this bank up on the Friday night where they work. And you want to know the truth? He's right. Lady Lily ain't gonna do nothing. <laughs> you come in trying to steal some money while I'm at work, go on, go ahead, take like, the money. Here's the key. <laughs> here, here you go. I used to say that all the time, like, <laughs> thinking if, if I got robbed, like, here, you can have everything. Take what you want. I'm not Take a superhero. You Here you go. Take mm-hmm. it. I prefer my life. Mm-hmm. It ain't worth it. <clears throat> so Eugene confessed to renting a U-Haul truck prior to the robbery and meeting up with the crew at the party in Long Beach. Shortly before midnight, they left the party one by one. They drove to the warehouse district and five were dropped off and walked to the armored car company. Thomas, who was a driver, waited a few blocks away for the call to drive and pick them up. When the truck arrived, they loaded it up. They stored the money in a storage facility rented by Thomas Johnson for two weeks. Four of them left in the rental truck. Eugene and Alan drove away in the vault manager's pickup truck because Alan knew where he parked it every day. Mm-hmm. Man. You really got to pay attention to people. Yeah. Because they really, they really be looking out. Like, they really be paying attention to you. Yeah. And your habits. So the men disposed of the weapons and destroyed the surveillance equipment. 
They changed their clothes and returned to the party as if nothing had happened. Mm-hmm. The crew paid an attorney named David Matsumoto and his office manager, Joaquin Bin, $1 million each to assist with laundering the stolen money. Hmm. Thomas Johnson corroborated Eugene's account of events in the hopes of getting a lighter sentence. Investigators quickly arrested Eric Damon Boyd, Freddie Lynn McCrary, and Terry Wayne Brown. But Alan Pace, he self-surrendered with his attorney present. He made no statement and refused to corroborate with investigators. Four of the men pled guilty to robbery and conspiracy. Eugene Hill was sentenced to nine years in prison. Thomas Johnson was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Freddie Lynn McCrary was sentenced to seven and a half years in prison. Terry Wayne Brown was sentenced to eight years in prison. Eric Boyd, he fought the charges against him and was found guilty. He was sentenced to 17 years in prison. Alan Pace, the leader of the group, had a three-week trial and was found guilty. He was sentenced to 24 years in prison. Oh. hmm David Matsumoto and Joaquin Ben, they were also implicated. David's bar license was revoked and both were indicted on 71 counts related to money laundering and they were sentenced to two and a half years in prison. Dang. hmm Investigators seized all of the robbers' assets and were able to get back only $5 million of the stolen money. Now, remember, they stole $18.9 million. And FBI and the LAPD... And the IRS, all of them, were only able to get back $5 million. $14 million remained missing and unaccounted for. That money is on offshore accounts or something. Somewhere. It's somewhere. Space. (laughs) I don't know if it's in space. (laughs) It's on Saturn. (laughs) I don't know where it's at, but it's somewhere. So where are they now? As of today, all six men were released from prison, but Mm. their whereabouts are unknown. I did find some information on where they are. Okay. Thank you. Space. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I I really believed you. I thanked you. I know. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I had to. Like, I've been saying that the whole entire podcast episode. Because you sounded so serious, like you found information that I couldn't find. Yeah. And I was looking all over the internet. And I think because I looked down too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And I thought that, oh my God, like, oh, she coming through. Yeah. Really coming through. through. (laughs) Space. Space. (laughs) But that's it. I hope the listeners really enjoyed this case. This was a very interesting case. It was interesting. I don't think they really thought it through because $18.9 million, that's a lot of money to handle. Which, yeah. if you think about that in today's standards, 30, 
$35 million? That's a lot of money to sort through and to hide and to not get caught. Like you're bound to get caught. There were a lot of twists and turns. Yeah. Like they took a lot Mm -hmm. of notes to know like which day to go, to know the crew, um, Mm -hmm. to know like the system that most Mm -hmm. of the people didn't know about. I mean, they were... they were definitely strategic and methodical about it, mm-hmm. about the actual crime, just not what they were going to do with the money. Right. And I think, like, they had too many people that worked there involved. Right. Like, they were all connected. Yeah. They either worked together at for a security company or they worked at that place. Well, Millie, yes. what are we going to talk about next week? Well, I was going to try to come up with something really um, interesting and and cool sounding for this, but I I can't because the name of this, like, robber, it it doesn't need, it doesn't need me. So we're going to be talking about the church lady bandit. (laughs) The church lady bandit, y'all. I'm not lying. The church lady bandit. That's what we're going to be talking about next week. So if you want to check us out on Instagram and Facebook, we would really appreciate that at the criminality report podcast. Um, check out our website at www.thecriminalityreportpodcast.com. You can also email us at criminality report podcast at gmail.com. Y'all have any stories you want to talk about? Hit us up. 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 So, where can they listen to our episodes, Lily? Well, you can rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Again, thank you so much for listening. And until next week, bye. Bye. According to a legal article, most bank robbers are... Oh, I already said that. Sorry. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) One guard was taking his lunch break when five masked armed men... Mask? Masked? Masked. Mask on. Epic mask off. Masked? Masked. Okay. The team in LA quickly traveled to LA to interview Thomas. Sorry, that was my bad. Vegas, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they, 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 even though we came from L.A. 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 Then one night on September 10th, 1999, his girlfriend called 9-11 to report 911. Oh my God. <laughs> oh God. Oh <laughs> 
the answer to your question is no, I don't know what they use. <laughs> <laughs> um, then, then they would take the money. <laughs> now I'm thinking about maybe they use. <laughs> did they use? Did they use um, fabric softer? <laughs> Was it the one with the little? Was it the one with the little bear on it? You know, instead of using a washing mach- a washing machine, they use like the manual. You know, yes, the manual accordion <laughs> looking like something. Yes. yes. Oh my gosh. Oh. Now I can't. They they use they use the one with the little Teddy Ruxpin bear. <laughs> that, that fabric softener. Suave tail. Teddy Ruxpin bear. Oh my gosh. They use Arm and Hammer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my, they use Fabuloso. (laughs) I don't even know if that was around back then. Ledge. Pine saw. Pine saw was bet there. Yeah, yes. pine saw. Pine mm-hmm. saw was there. And Mr. Clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, they need. <laughs> oh my god. Then, okay, I gotta get this out of my mind. <laughs> I can't get it out of my mind. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. I gotta eat some yeah. porridge. I'll be ready in the morning. Like, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't talk about this right now, mm-hmm. I, but I can talk to you in the morning. In the morning? Mm-hmm. What was that? Oh, you heard that? That was my yes. house shoe. <laughs> <laughs> fell on the ground. <laughs>